0: You are listening to episode 363 of The Daily Grind. So as you know, I decided to rebuild my website using Wix. After years of frustration with just putting up with what I had, I decided to start with a blank slate and design my website the way I wanted it. And that's why I chose Wix. I was able to choose from over 500 amazing templates to get the exact feel and look that I was wanting. I was able to customize my site easily and add and move things where I wanted to ultimately optimize the experience for the visitor. The site has actually been completed for some time now. I'm just doing some final touch-ups and adding the 350 plus episodes, which as you can imagine, takes some time. But what would have costed me thousands of dollars and months of time, I have completed super inexpensively in only a few short weeks. Furthermore, Wix is actually designed for any device, desktop and mobile, which as you can imagine, being in 2019 is super important and valuable. Along with it, the amazing SEO capabilities that Wix presents saves me a whole bunch of time and money. And SEO, as you know, when it comes to blogging, podcasts, video is super important for growth and viewership. Ultimately, what I've learned is that building a website doesn't have to be painful. It doesn't have to cost thousands of dollars, and it doesn't have to waste a whole bunch of your time. It can actually be really cheap, inexpensive, and, and enjoyable using Wix. To get started with Wix yourself today for 15% off and build the site optimized for you and your business and your customers, go to wix.com forward slash podcast. Again, that is wix.com forward Forward slash podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the show. On today's episode, we're sitting down with Dr. Kim Saxton. Um, Dr. Kim Saxton has over thirty years of marketing and market research experience, working with large corporations, startups, and medium-sized businesses. Currently. She teaches marketing at Indiana University's Kelly School of Business. Her research on market segmentation, branding, and venture ecosystems has received national recognition. Kim is also an active angel investor and advisor to high-potential startups. She is a member of the advisory board of the Startup Ladies at PERQ. She also serves as an associate editor for the Journal of Advertising Research. Today, Kim shares her amazing entrepreneurial journey. This is a follow-up from yesterday's episode with Dr. Todd Saxton. So if you haven't listened to that, be sure you go back and listen to that first. But everyone, enjoy today's episode. Be sure to have a pen, piece of paper, sit back, and really dive deep in today's interview with Dr. Kim Saxton. Well, Kim Saxton, welcome to The Daily Grind. How are you today?
1: Most excellent, but I like to start most days feeling most excellent because I find I'm a lot more effective that way.
0: So let's start. I, li- I like that because I'm the same way. I like to start the day off right. What do you do in order to start the day off right to make yourself feel excellent and get yourself off to uh, to a good start, so to speak?
1: Well, I'm one of those people that as soon as I'm really awake, like I don't set an alarm clock, mm-hmm. um, but I tend to only need six or seven hours of sleep, and so. By seven hours, ding, 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 body's up, ready to go. I I don't stay in bed. I don't linger. I'm like, yes, a chance to go get something else done. I hop up. I check my emails, see what urgent problems have to be dealt with. Yeah. And, and while I was kind of waking up, I usually have a few things in my head. And I just go out and get them done. And I'm the first riser in my house, so it gives me a perfect chance to like just get those few things that I want done. Uh, for sure today and then my list is done and anything else I get in the day is bonus
0: love it have have you always been an early riser have you always needed only six seven hours or is that something that was sort of developed and and sort of more more so when you became an adult
1: no I think that's pretty much it I mean if I look at myself like in middle school and high school honestly it's pretty much the same thing I think my parents would say yep she's uh up early and out there to get the day done
0: <laughs> I love it well Kim uh, for people out there who are being first introduced to you and just for people who are listening to the podcast if you didn't listen to Todd's episode yesterday um, this will be a build-off of that um, but for people being first introduced to you Kim um, if you wouldn't mind just speaking a little bit more who you are and what it is that you do
1: Sure. Uh, So my formal job is a marketing professor with the Kelly School of Business on the uh, Indianapolis campus at IUPUI. And in that role, I teach in our evening MBA program, our physician MBA program, our online MBA program, and our undergraduate business program. So I teach across a broad spectrum, but I also am very active in the community. So I advise Um, startups primarily but also some major clients Uh, I have MBA projects consulting with some of our uh, large employers in town Uh, I sit on the advisory board for the startup ladies I do a lot of talking like workshops and things around Um, so I'm out there trying to connect the business school to uh, businesses in the community for a win-win
0: at what stage in your career did you start to do that more, sort of being more involved with the community and startups in in the within the community and, and business and entrepreneurship? When when, at what stage of your career, sorry, did you start to uh, to get into that?
1: Yeah, so um, I have a very untraditional academic career. So mm. um, my husband and I pursued our PhDs just a year apart. Wow. Um, uh the plan was for us to go sequentially but um when he was working on his phd i thought what he was doing was so much fun i wanted to do it too so we just <laughs> figured out a way to have two people working on a phd wow. with a with a 2 year old which was super interesting um and after i finished my phd it, it took uh me 5 years because we i had a second child um I was like, wow, the time horizon for the work that you do in acad- academia is really long and I, I just need to go get some stuff done. I like getting stuff done, I like things off my task list. <laughs> um, so I decided to go back into industry and I went back into industry for about seven years. Um, and then after a couple of corporate reorganizations and changes, I said, you know, I, now I'm ready to teach. So my academic career has only been about 15 years long Okay. And because I think I spent that much time, first I worked with a very large corporation, Eli Lilly and Company, and then I worked in a specialty pharmaceutical and also a market research firm, small market research firm, I, I think I, I just was more connected to practical work. Got you. Um, and so it was very natural. I took about three years after I came back to academia and wrote a few papers that were kind of more academic, and then I just plunged right back into the community and I still write. We still, Todd and I, each publish independently, but we also publish together. Um, And I'm an associate editor for the Journal of Advertising Research, so I'm looking at a lot of um, up-and-coming work that people are doing. Um, But I love actually being out, rolling up my sleeves, and talking to companies about how they can do better work.
0: Where, for you, does that internal drive come from, do you think? I mean, you had mentioned you only need six, seven hours you're up, there's no snooze button for you, you pop right up. Where do you think that comes from?
1: So I think it comes from a couple of different things. And I've thought about this over the years. I don't know if Todd shared that we also train for Ironman triathlon.
0: Mm, okay. Yeah, he did mention at <laughs> the beginning. But yeah, we'll talk We'll talk about it here too.
1: So it to me, it's a lot of the same things, right? Um, I think it starts with a growth mindset. I know I can change the world through my actions. I've and I think I knew that when I was young, and I have seen that over and over and over again. So, a, I want to learn new things. I want to figure out how to be better myself. And three, I want to change things because of my actions. Secondly, I'm super optimistic.
0: You
1: okay. know? Uh, I think that's inherent in marketers, probably because yeah. marketing is so hard. If you weren't optimistic, you know, <laughs> how would you move forward? True. <laughs> um, and then I, you know, I am. I am very, uh, success driven. So I, I like it when I win. I like it when I get awards. I like it when someone says you affected me this way. Um, so, and I, same thing for Ironman triathlon. Like I like it when I can run longer than I did before. I like it when I see that my times are faster. Um, so it's kind of addictive.
0: How long have (laughs) you been doing the, the Ironman triathlons for?
1: Just about 2000, I think, is when we started maybe shortly before then. We started doing triathlons. We had a neighbor who did them, and they got us started. I did not even run. I wouldn't say I I ran at all until I was like 36
0: or 38. Really? So my
1: first mile was just deadly. I
0: was like, wow, people
1: think this is fun? (laughs) Um, Uh, Why did you
0: keep doing it? Because for people, they'll think the same thing. They'll go for the run their knees hurt, lungs are just about, you know, they're spitting up everything. (laughs) For you, why was that, like, what drove you to keep continuously going back and improving, and getting better?
1: I figured there had to be, I was doing something wrong. And so I I started by saying, I got to figure out how to do this right. I mean, there's people who run marathons and think this is fun. So if I ran a mile and want to die, I'm obviously doing (laughs) it wrong. (laughs) Um, and I still work, I mean, that's the thing I work at the most. That's the hardest for me with the triathlon. Um, but, um, I, I work at it and, um, I have my little wins. And so I, uh, do some training with, uh, women's groups on grit and, you know, I can really draw from my running experience as a, a yeah. way of building grit.
0: <laughs> I think it's super, like, I think that's a, an undervalued, um, quality in someone if they're trying to get to that next level you need like pure grit because there's times even in entrepreneurship where you know that first mile it sucks but you need to continuously keep pushing through and building that muscle
1: and you know one of the things i found and i'm sure others have too i don't know if everyone can verbalize this so my first job out of college i called people on the phone to talk to them about their job it was competitive intelligence and um acquisition planning. So I did like 10,000 interviews. And I would say I felt the same way with this. Whenever you start something new, it's dreadful. Yeah. If you look at the phone and be like, no, I don't want to. And your first, whatever you do, your first few call it, I don't know, three, five, maybe even 10. They're bad. And it's yeah. a bad experience. <laughs> but then something unlocks your persistence. And you're sorting out, how do I make this better? Um, trying, experimenting little things. All of a sudden, boom, you've unlocked something. And you start to see these successes. And you have to kind of hit that ugly bit in order to truly break through. And then I think enjoy that success.
0: A hundred percent. It's funny you mentioned that about the your first job on the phones. Because that wasn't my first job. But I feel like that was the job that took fear more out of me and I was like just selling international real estate and I had to cold call people and it was yep. it sucked so bad at the beginning um, but actually over time you actually learned to I actually somewhat enjoyed it um, and, it's, yeah. and it's one thing you had mentioned like the just persistence and just understanding that just because five people may have told you you know to go somewhere doesn't mean that the next one will maybe they need your help you just got to keep pushing through.
1: And, you know, maybe the one, the first five that told you to go somewhere, you asked the questions badly. It's a you bit, yes. weren't smiling. Yes. You weren't having fun. You didn't intrigue them. And by the sixth, you finally figured out, well, if I don't mm. start having fun, they're not going to have any fun either. <laughs>
0: that is so important. And your energy and the way you say things, like it, it all, people feel it. Like I'm a big believer in energy. Like you're, the energy yep. you put out is the energy you get back. And I think that that's so important for people to understand because even if they hate their job, I still think you need to be putting out good energy because you never know what interaction may be the springboard to something new for you.
1: I completely agree. And I am really fortunate that I've had some great students. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: not infrequently, my students will say, Oh, you were, you made this, you know, class so fun. I really appreciated <laughs> learning from them. And I always tell them, You get back what you put in. When yes. you're engaged, I'm engaged. If I'm engaged and you're not engaged, you know, how much fun is that for me?
0: <laughs> it, it must be tough teaching and trying to. Because you're, you're going to have students that are really engaging and then students that aren't. And then you're trying to make them be engaged. like, it must be a tough balance there.
1: You know, um, it, it is and it isn't. One So I am one of those, you know, I'll be honest. I was that A, A plus student, take all the extra credit, okay. you know, look at the world like, how, oh, how come I miss two points kind of a thing. <laughs> so it's hard for me in the classroom because I think all students should be like that. Yeah. But I've learned they aren't. Mm-hmm. You have to accept people from where they are now. And you have to figure out how to help them get better than where they are now. And that's my goal. I, I'm not going to take someone who hates my subject and make them love it. But I can let them have a little fun. Yeah, I can break them out of their mold. And I just try a lot of different things in my classroom in order to try and help them break through. Some people don't. I mean, you can only take the horse to water. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I ha- I've learned how to be okay with that. I mean, I try, but you know, sometimes it just doesn't work and you have to be okay with that.
0: How important is it to try to like relate? To, I don't want to say relate, but like how important is it when you're, when you're say speaking on a subject to relate it maybe to, to people's experiences. So it kind of gets them connected more.
1: So for one, you've got a classroom of 60 people. You can't even begin to understand all the experiences. So one (laughs) of the things I I like to do is create experiences Mm. in my classroom. And then we all learn from that, right? I like that. Um, There are kind of two philosophies about learning, probably more than two, but two that I I sort of go back and forth between. One is do you uh, enter the water and let them start to drown but fetch them out before they drown?
0: Yes. Or okay. to
1: teach them perfectly how to swim on land. And then at the end, push them in. Right? Yeah. And so I, I think about, well, in order to get this learning experience, which way does it need to be for them? And so some things I push them in the water and say, oh, look, grab the ring. <laughs> and sometimes I, you know, walk them all the way down to the end before saying, OK, now you can jump um, because of what I'm trying to accomplish.
0: I like I needed you as my teacher because I'm, I was the opposite. Like I, I sucked. I want to say I sucked, but I was disinterested. And I feel like I was disinterested because I didn't have people like you teaching me who would try different things and get us engaged. Like I needed that.
1: (laughs) So I had a really good learning experience this semester. I teach quantitative courses. I went to MIT as an undergrad. I'm very quantitatively oriented and a lot of marketers are not. And, um, I had, uh, I, I set up something on my final exam with a question that said, reflect on what you've learned, because I wanted to see what the class was thinking. And I, like it. I was really, imp- I was pleased. Thank you. Um, with the students who said, what I learned is that this subject matter is not for me at all, but I appreciate the way I was taught.
0: I lo- that's That's really good. I think that's great. <laughs>
1: I'm I'm good with that. Yeah,
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think people so much they think that, and this is just in school. It could be with with anything. If the if they start something, they feel like because it's been instilled with them through say their parents or just social pressure that they need to stick with it. Right, like oh I I've started this. I've been doing it for five years. I can't give up now. I just got to keep pushing through. In twenty years, I'll retire. Whatever. Um, but I feel like people have the inability to adjust because of the pressure and, and what you're taught.
1: I think that's true. And in my quantitative courses, I do make it really easy for students to say, nope, uh, uh, I'm out. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, you should do things that connect with you. You should try things. And maybe they feel awkward at first, but maybe – you you adjust to them or not. If you don't adjust, you should move on to something else and yeah. do something that really connects with you. It's way more fun.
0: It is. It's and it's like a lot of people. And this is for people listening. Like they're they're starting businesses, and I feel like a lot of them go through that stagnation period because people tell yeah. them, you know, find what it is that you love to do and like that you're super passionate about. It. And the great advice, but. There's certain people who don't know the answer to that, and instead of trying, they just think that the answer is just going to come to them one day. It's interesting how how that piece of advice, although is is very valuable, oftentimes holds people back more than it helps.
1: Well, I think you have to try a lot of things, yes. and, and this is so true in uh, startups and particularly in marketing for mm-hmm. startups. Um, you know, I see one big mistake I talk about in the book is that people try to go too broad when they start a business. Yeah. They, they're afraid, you know, to turn away anybody or to think that That's anybody so can't use their product. You know, if you have a narrow marketplace and you work hard, you, you ask those five to 10 people and you get those five no's, but then you start getting yeses. It's, so powerful but if you get to those 10 no's then you need a different focus um and and that's what i encourage people like okay that sounds like a great hypothesis let's see if this target really does need your product yes. and if they don't then what's our plan b and what's our plan c so i push startups to try and penetrate 80 percent of their target market and some people think Wow, that's impossible. No, no, it's not impossible. It's about how you define your target. If you can get 80% of a group of people or companies to buy into your vision, how empowering is that? How much stronger is that going to make you? And then you can take what you've learned and replicate it in another target and another target and another target
0: and it's especially true now i think it's that's been consistent over time and it's especially true now where people like you said they try so hard to please everyone because like you said at the beginning you don't want to turn away money if someone comes to you it's like you don't want to turn it away but if you look at it in the sense of like a specialist like in in your health say you i'm looking at my elbow right now (laughs) say you really hurt your elbow You're not going to go – and money wasn't an issue, right? So like you could do whatever you want. You're not going to go see a a physician who does everything. You're going to go see an elbow specialist. Right. So if you're looking at it in terms of marketing, you want to be that specialist of whatever it is that you're doing. So when people are looking for you, they say, this is the person I want because people want specialists nowadays.
1: Yeah, and I kind of differentiate targeting from selling. So targeting Mm -hmm. means I have a strategic plan I put in place that this product is going to be the perfect solution to your problem and everyone who has the same problem that you have. And I want to design my messages, where I put my information, how I package my product, how I deliver my product, so that you know that this is the perfect thing. But if that guy over there who's not in my target market wants to buy – I'll sell it to him. Mm. I'm just not going to change anything for him.
0: Interesting.
1: He buys it as is. You, as I'm trying to understand what you need, I'm going to massage things and tweak them so that you know this is perfect. But I'll take his money too because, you know, I do like money.
0: Of course. And if, and, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, if you sell them and are unable, you can always put them in touch with someone else. Correct. And still be making money off of it.
1: And still be making money off it. So I have had a few entrepreneurs who, who had, you know, people, they weren't targeting come and approach them and they're like, Oh no, no, I can't sell you. I'm like, what? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they think it's good, then I say, let them have at it. I mean, they, you might not retain them. It might not be perfect for them. Or it might be that, they you're still the best thing they can find for the job they need done, so yeah, it could be a win win, but don't ask them lots of questions. Don't try to perfectly satisfy them unless they are in fact in your target market.
0: mm, that's super interesting so It's yeah. hard
1: sometimes, I think, for people to get that straight because yeah. people do say like if you target your You know, you're taking only a tiny slice of the pie. You've left the rest of the pie. Like, no, no, I want to be perfect for that slice of the pie. Yeah, I'm happy to take everybody else's money.
0: Yeah, but with marketing, right? Like, if you try to market to everyone, it's it's way too expensive, way too broad, just doesn't work.
1: And what you have is a message that connects with nobody. Yeah. So that the key is that you understand your target's needs so well that you know how to talk to them about the product, you know what the product needs to look like, you knew what the service needs to look like, you know, you, you, you are almost like in their minds. Yeah. And that's really a strong focus.
0: Yeah. And it's, you know, people talk about it all the time and it's like, it's a conversation, you know, the riches are in the niches, but people, I think, and to be, to be honest, even me early on, like I had a really difficult, I understood it, but I didn't quite get it, if that makes sense.
1: Yes, I'm in the middle of launching a program for uh, the school. And I have to admit that I have the same thing. Like everybody who inquires has, yeah. you know, this situation that I'm like, oh, could we do that? Could we do that? And I'm like, no, no, no. This is what we said this is for. Yeah. <laughs> to tell myself <laughs> these same things. Because it's, you know, you've got a lead in the hand. And you're like, oh, what does this lead need? I can be that. No, 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 you can't. That's not the lead you were looking for. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it's funny you bring that up because I think people close to you, although they they want the best for you, sometimes they don't have the best advice. And probably for startups, like you, really, it's important for you to have a team of people around you who are going to be honest with you, but you know, lift you up at the same time as being realistic and pushing you forward and challenging you. Right?
1: Oh my gosh, I think this is the hardest thing, and I don't really know how to verbalize this for founders. Yeah. And, and and I would agree, just like Seth Godin, uh, who was on your podcast yep. early on, said, you know, persistence is really important. Mm-hmm. But there are some founders that you listen to them and you're like, you are persisting on the wrong thing.
0: <laughs>
1: and and as the founder, then what do you do? Whose advice do you listen to? Because you are told you have to be persistent. but But how it's hard to coach people to be persistent on the right things.
0: Yeah. Um, It's, it's it's like they're believing in them, what they're doing so much. And they're like, you just have to keep fighting through, keep fighting through. And oftentimes that like clouds their ability to hear outside anything.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I don't want to give you any examples because they're too close to home. Yeah. But one of the things, (laughs) one of of the rules that, um, that, Todd and I use is that we'll pretty much have coffee, maybe even lunch with just about any entrepreneur that asks, but we won't have the second one unless they do something with what we said in the first one.
0: Mm, I like that.
1: We call it coachability. Yeah. Right. And so it's a really interesting contrast. Uh, We came across, we did a a talk for the book, um, uh, in one setting and one of the entrepreneurs kind of followed us up Two or three times. And we, you know, met with him two or three times because at no cost, because he always came back and said, Oh, here's what I did from our last conversation. So now I'm here and I'm wondering what you think about this. (laughs) You know, I I contrast that to people you talk to and maybe even you're you're close to and have an ongoing relationship and you don't actually ever see them do any of the things you've ever said.
0: (laughs) So it's funny because there's entrepreneurs just like you and Todd who have that open door policy who are like literally if you're an entrepreneur and you want to have coffee with me, I'd be willing to sit down. And people know that like even this podcast space, there are podcasts out there where you could literally go on pretty much every show and get a 15 minute call with 20 of people you would never know that you could ever speak to yet. People don't do it. It's really interesting.
1: So I am totally willing to help people. Um, and I try to be willing to get help, but I think most of us have a tendency to think that we can do things on our own and we forget to ask others for help.
0: Is that pr- it's a bit of pride, right?
1: I don't know if it's pride or just independentness. You know, okay. I, I, yeah, I, I pulled myself up from the bootstraps. Everybody should pull themselves up by the bootstraps. Um, but I'll tell you what, every time I ask for help, I'm always stunned at what good things
0: happen. So true.
1: I try to ask for help more often, not too often, but more often.
0: Yeah, and I think that's, that's something that more people can do, and it's even for me. I'll admit to it. I feel like I can ask for more, um, but at the same time, you want to give. Like I have this mentality of like give, 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 and oftentimes, you give so much, and you forget to ask, or you feel guilty about doing so, but it's just not the right way of thinking.
1: It isn't because there are people and you don't know sometimes when you're asking for help from somebody how that is actually being a help to them. Mm. Right. So that adds purpose for them. Um, So one of the things I also say is marketing is not a solo game. And so uh, as the marketing professor on this book, you know, I've kind of uh, been out leading the charge on our marketing efforts, too. But I need people to talk to, so I have a yeah. tribe of people I send things to and say, like, read this. Does this make any sense? What have I missed? How can I make this better? Because um, you just can't do it all by yourself. You're just talking to yourself in an echo chamber. It doesn't work.
0: So true. Well, Kim, for people out there who want to grab a copy of the book, um, wh- first of all, where could they get where could they get it? Um, and second of all, where's the best place they can you'll follow along on your journey?
1: Sure. So the book is The Titanic Effect um, Successfully Navigating the Uncertainties That Sink Most Startups. It's available broadly, uh, six or eight online retailers, is for sure Amazon, um, awesome. Barnes and Nobles, you know, all the, the group. We have a website, www.titaniceffect.com, and we have some special resources for your listeners at Amazing. backslash dailygrindkim. Um, so check those things out, some tools from the book and uh, easy access to buying if you want it. And we also have a um, a weekly newsletter we send out with like our latest ideas That's um, great. and people can sign up for that on the uh, website as well. And every Friday morning you'll get a cheery little note from us.
0: Amazing. Well, I'll share all these links to make it super simple to grab a copy of Todd and Kim's book and also subscribe to their newsletter, which they send out every Friday morning Now, Kim, the way we end the show here on The Daily Grind is we're going to give you the floor and you have the opportunity today to share with our audience the thought of the day. So one thing or one thought that we can all go home with today.
1: Yeah, so uh, I have uh, given this just a little thought and it's one of those reminders I need. You know, it's okay not to be perfect. Let's just do this thing.
0: Mm. Perfect. Be imperfect
1: be imperfect. Just get her done.
0: I love it. And as you can see from this interview, everyone success is driven by passion, hunger, and today asking for help. Everyone has to overcome obstacles. Everyone has a story. Start building yours today. Today, we had the chance to speak with Kim Saxton. Kim, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule and coming on the show here with us today.
1: It's my pleasure, Colin. Keep doing what you're doing. We all are grinding away.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much. And everyone, if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Drop us a comment. Let us know what you liked. Share this out with your friend. Until next time, Colin Morgan signing off. And always remember to keep on grinding.